1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
2: Welcome to the London Review Bookshop.
0: Thank you all for coming and thank you for the invitation. Um, this is a wonderful festival that I'm very proud to be part of. And I'm particularly happy to be here today um, by two of my favourite writers. How often do that happen in life, that uh, (laughs) you actually get to sit in between and ask questions uh, to two of your favourite writers. And also, of course, that is quite a daunting task. And I'm sure I'm going to say or ask questions that they will not agree with. So I hope that will be a very dynamic conversation that we will have together. And we will, of course, conduct this uh, talk in English, as you can hear, uh, though we are quite fluent in the Scandinavian languages, uh, but we expect that not all of you will be fluent in Scandinavian languages. And let me just first have a disclaimer in here. When we use the terms Scandinavian and Nordic, you might all know what we are talking about. Some of you might not know what we are talking about. We're talking about Scandinavian and the Nordic. To me, because I've been living in English-speaking countries for a while, I use these two terms um, indistinguishably. So... Scandinavian and Nordic countries are for me uh, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Faroe Islands, Finland, and Greenland. I hope I didn't miss any. Uh, In Scandinavia, they commonly think about Scandinavian countries as only Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Uh, But when I I use them, it's exactly the same. So I say Scandinavian sometimes, Nordic, but I mean the same. All these countries. And it's significant because they do of course share a common history, they share common languages, but they are not intelligible to all. We can speak fairly well together in Swedish, Danish, Scandinavian, uh, but we do not speak that elegantly in Finnish and Icelandic and Ferrisal, or or, um, Inuit languages from Greenland. And by that I want to say that we often talk about Scandinavian crime fiction today because it's such a fashionable thing. Um, but it actually covers a wide range of different countries, different languages, different cultures, that do share a certain brotherhood or sisterhood, but as you know with brothers and sisters, they do not always get along, and they don't always see the world the same way. So if you want to get further into what Nordic noir, Nordic crime or Scandinavian crime means, it actually covers a lot of diversity. It makes things simpler to today that we have two Swedish crime writers. And as you know, and I probably shouldn't say this a Dane, Swedish crime writing is by far the most famous and the most well-established um, tradition in Scandinavian fiction. I will briefly introduce our two speakers, some data on them. I hope that our questions and conversation today will bring more of their particularities and uh, more of their novels uh, into the scene. But I will give you some data. After that, I'm going to say a few words about crime fiction and world literature. This is a festival for world literature and translations. We're going to say a few words about that, a few words about this fashion for crime fiction from the Scandinavian countries. And then I have some questions, and I've just been finishing uh, making exams at the uh, UCL, so they will probably be more in the language of oral exam questions. I hope uh, our two speakers today will bear with me. I hope to do this fairly shortly and leave the floor to the audience. I'm sure there are a lot of you who have uh, questions for these two writers as avid readers of their, of their fiction. Karin Altegen, uh, sitting here on my left, has published um, is it six novels in Swedish? Yeah. Not all of them crime novels um, the. F- Four first novels, or the first middle novel, the four middle novels are crime novels, and they've been published in English translations as well. So they're the, one, they're the ones that you will know. Not the first novel, am I right?
1: The first, uh, five crime novels, five crime actually, novels, Yeah, mm. and four of them uh, are published to, in, in England. Right, And then I wrote a novel that's not crime.
0: We have a novel that we have not seen in English yet. Um, famously, her novels from... 1998, Guilt, Missing from 2000, Betrayal from 2003, Shame from 2005, and Shadow for 2007. It sounds like they constitute a series, as any good crime writer would have a series. But they are, in fact, not a series apart from their very pointed titles. We might come in to that later. Karin Altegen's novels have been published in... Just about 30 countries, Missing, as you may know, has been a miniseries in Britain for TV, and she has received a number of literary awards, including the Glass Key for the Best Nordic Crime Novel, the Swedish Academy's um, Crime Writers' Award, the Best Crime Novel of the Year, as it's called, and also the Danish Academy of Crime Writers' Pelle Rosenkranz Award for Best Foreign Crime Novel of the Year. Um, that data speaks for itself, I think. Very happy to have uh, Karin here today. Welcome. And on my right we have uh, Hawkan Nessa, and I met Hawkan in our book club uh, earlier this year, and we had a wonderfully engaging talk with a lot of crime fiction aficionados there. As you well know, Hawkan Nessa has published uh, numerous novels, famously in the English-speaking countries, of course, his Fanviterin series, that so far, if I get it right, five of them have been translated into English. Is that right? The first yeah, five. I think it's
2: different in the, in, in the US and the UK, actually. I think that the UK is one book ahead of, of the US. The Congratulations. One That's good to know.
0: Thank you very much. The first one came quite a long time ago, 1993. So when, when, you, when, when Hawken will address the question of his fan and crime novels is actually ancient history for you yes it's it is a, it's it's a, it's
2: a bit of a problem when you when, when you ask questions about why did you write this in this book and it's 15 years ago so I have no idea usually but I try yeah, I to can, answer I anyway can
1: answer them for you yeah good thank you <laughs> Um
2: in Scandinavia
0: fan, um, the fan in series has been um, substituted Uh, by the Babarotti series, which is quite a different series that we all will surely uh, sometime get to read in English as well, quite soon, I hope, uh, with a Swedish-Italian detective. (coughs) It's uh, another great invention in Scandinavian crime. And uh, there's been four so far. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be five in the end? Yeah,
2: the number five is in my computer. I left it in a suitcase somewhere around here. I'm not (laughs) sure where, but that's supposed to be the last one. If anyone finds it, please
0: return it. (laughs) And Horkan has also written nine independent novels, independent series. Mm -hmm. He has also published widely 25 countries at least, uh, as far as I'm informed. And he has also received numerous awards, of course, international awards such as the European Crime Fiction Star Award, uh, called the Ripper Award in 2010, and he is the only author to have won the Swedish Crime Writer's academic Prize. Academy no, I'm Prize. not the only
2: one. I'm the first one. I think that Mr. Persson got it the third time, so I think there are two of us, but I was the first. Too bad.
0: Well, at least the first one to receive three prizes. And of course, he's also received the Scandinavian Glass Key Award. So we're in, in really good company today. We have plenty to talk about, and... Uh, Let's welcome the two authors, please. A few general remarks about Scandinavian crime fiction. I'm sure you have all been reading about it in the newspapers. I think I've been interviewed about 15, 20 times, and always get the question, why is Scandinavian crime fiction so good, or why is it so popular? They're not always the same. I have been a very good academic and tried to give long, complex answers uh, to these things. And I have tired uh, in recent weeks uh, with the questions, and I end up saying, well, you're just damn good writing. Uh, I think it all boils down to that. Uh, but to me, crime fiction generally is probably the best example of world literature. Crime fiction travels very well between cultures and cultures. Uh, between languages, and has done so since the days of Homer. Um, the Danish critic Georg Brandes, whom you, of course, all know uh, from the late 18, uh, 1800s, uh, he was the most famous literary critic in the, in the 19th century, and he was the one who introduced Nietzsche to the world. He said of world literature, um, and I will quote him from an essay from 1899, we get some history today, The world literature of the future will become so much more captivating, the more national specificities become apparent, and the more it becomes heterogeneous, as long as it maintains a general human aspect. What is written directly for the world will have no value as a work of art. And I think that is one of the main reasons why Nordic crime fiction appeals to a global audience. It is world literature because it still has a certain um, national, or should we say, local color, while being written in a genre that is recognizable to most people around the world. Scandinavian crime fiction has a very long national tradition, obviously, going back to uh, some of my favorite crime stories, the sagas uh, from Iceland, where I don't think um, any serial killer in contemporary crime has had quite that many murders and that much blood as we find it in the Icelandic sagas. Scandinavian crime fiction also happened early in modern times. We can find it as early as in 1829 with uh, Steensteinsen Blika, the pastor of which uh, sounds more delightful than it is. And we also have a Norwegian story uh, called The Murder of Engineer Rolfsson from 1839. So it's, it's a long tradition. But I stress the international element in crime fiction, why I think it's world literature, um, is because most Scandinavian crime fiction, when we really talk about it, most of that is actually inspired by Anglo-American crime fiction, uh, by Chandler, Ed McBain, and others. So when we talk about great Scandinavian crime fiction, a lot of that uh, crime fiction actually uh, indebted to um, the Miss Marbles and uh, uh, others out there. And if you have seen The Killing, you will of course have noticed that the the only legi- legitimate granddaughter of Miss Marble is uh, the main character there wearing an Icelandic sweater. <laughs> um, so, crime fiction has of course boomed the last 10 years. And it's strange that if we talk about Scandinavian region, there is only about twenty-five million people, so comparatively, it is quite remarkable the the number of very good crime, the number of very good crime novels that come out of those countries in translation these days, um, and the number of awards and prizes, and also the good translators that they find abroad. The best-selling crime fiction author among Scandinavians is obviously Mankel and his. Valander uh, series. It has sold more than 25 million copies so far, and has outperformed Harry Potter in the German market. And of course, Harry Potter is the gold standard of economic success in book markets. Steve Larsen's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was the best-selling novel in Europe in 2008. And of course, economic success, success and sales numbers are only one side of the equation. We should ask what is the cultural significance of these novels when they travel across borders? What do they do to us and for us, apart from their obvious excellent entertainment value? And those are some of the questions that I hope that we will get to today. What does crime novels do for us? Common to Kainal Tegen and Håkan Nesser is that they have had their novels translated by excellent translators into the English language. I think uh, at a festival such as this, we should take our hat off to uh, the most excellent translators we have uh, of Scandinavian languages into English. Laurie Thompson has translated all of your novels so far, uh, am I right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, in the Fanvitron series. And Karin uh, Tegen's novels have been translated by Anna Patterson and Stephen Murray, who is uh, an American translator so as well. Excellent translators, both of them. So, with this uh, little enquête on uh, the world literature and the local colour and national success of Scandinavian crime writing, I'm going to ask our two authors a few questions and see if they get it right. (laughs) It seems that crime stories have always been with us, as I just said, in all cultures, and that we can easily translate these crime stories from one language or culture into another. So crime stories, they do travel well. So I would like to ask our authors today what is their experience and what do they think about crime stories? Why do they think they have such worldwide fascination? And uh, can
1: I start with with you, Karin? Mm -hmm. That's the hardest question to answer because, I mean, you always want to write a suspenseful story, but what is suspense and what... uh, so I can't answer that one. I, I can answer why I started to write my kind of books. Um, 96, I haven't, had never thought about becoming an author. I had never written anything before. I was working as a prop man in the film industry in Sweden. Uh, and uh, my brother died in an accident. Uh, he was an air fighter pilot in the Swedish Air Force. And... Um, I was uh, pregnant with my second child, I was in my nine month, and uh, I couldn't, I didn't have time to grieve and I, I just tried to sh- take the uh, thing off, shut down the, the kind of grief I had and uh, tried to be clever and good and it just con- continue as nothing happened. And three years after I had this severe depression with anxiety and I didn't dare to leave my own house And. And suddenly I had a quick Screening, What do you say?
0: Writer's blog.
1: Yeah, when you. Or
2: no. s- oh, the opposite of writer's blog. No, you were you were on sick leave.
1: Yeah, I was on oh, sick leave. Sick. Yeah, I didn't start to write yet. I oh. never written a word before. So I just sat down by this. I couldn't have a writer's block.
0: Because you haven't writing. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. That makes start sense. with a block. Yeah. That's good. <laughs>
1: That came later, I can tell you. But but in this time, I just sat down with a computer and um, started to write. And I never thought about writing a book. Never. I just f- had this uh, creativity inside of me. I just wanted to, to tell a story or create something. And I started to write, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. And it was like finding some hope and life again. So um, it was first when I finished, and I, I saw how many a sentence it was, and I then, and I counted in a book in my bookshelf, and I saw that, God, I just wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent this one to uh, three publishing houses, and uh, I was refused. Is that the right word in English? Two of them. And one of them said they wanted to publish this book. So I never chose the genre. I just wanted to write something suspenseful that I thought was suspenseful. But I know I uh, when, uh, just before I started to write this was guilt Th- that one is not translated into English. Yeah, so uh, I just re- uh, read Peter Hög
0: Smilla. Smilla,
1: yeah. What's in English? Smilla's Sense of Smilla. Yeah, so perhaps that's why I created that kind of story with suspense, but also I'm really interested in the characters, and that's I continue doing that. So my first book is a. Uh, true crime novel, and the second one missing as well. But then I started to write more thriller, psychological thriller, like Betrayal. is more like a relation thriller, you can call it, and in Shame that there isn't even a murder in that one. So, and then Shadow, it's about a dark family story with, in uh, yeah, about the consequences and so on. So, and my latest one that's not translated to English yet is, um, that's I took away all crime and violence whatsoever. I just wanted to write a really suspenseful book without any violence at all. So I just I, I write what I like to write in that moment and I don't have any serious and right now I'm not writing anything because I, I'm I don't have any ideas at the moment
0: <laughs> So have, have you found that you are your books that have been translated into other languages, they have changed when they have travelled from, from your Swedish and into other cultures?
1: No, because the only translation I can read is the English one. And I, I work quite uh, close to Steve, when he, because he asked me a lot of questions in Shadow and uh, Shame. We've been working tight together. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't feel it changed to English. But of course, when I write, I have a melody in my, in my head, with, in the language. I ah, like a rhythm and of course that one goes away in, in a translation but um, not the story and, uh, and, and no I think it's quite like but it's 32 languages so I, I can't read Polish and mm. and uh, Russian or uh, <laughs> Japanese or Korean so of course it I guess it translates it changes in the translation.
0: Thank you very much and, and Hokan. Your crime novels with Van Vieten, though they are taking place in a very sort of imaginative northern European space, they also do travel between uh, languages. And what has been your experience with. uh, Well, I I think that that most books are are,
2: are travelable, if there would be such a word. I mean, uh, but the thing is that, that crime fiction is traveling so well these days is because it's a very popular genre. I mean, Kentucky Fried Chicken and hamburgers travel quite well as well. So it's, a, it's. A, I think it's a market phenomenon more than a books travel. Well, books books uh, are a good bridge between people in different parts of the world. Novels are are, are these bridges. It's not just crime fiction. Uh, they publish a lot of crime fiction these days. Nordic crime fiction, but I don't think that crime fiction travels better than poetry or or, or mainstream novels actually. But. Uh, I mean, something is always lost in translation, but sometimes you, you could add something in equality in, in translations as well. And I think they, being a translator, which I'm not a translator, but if you lose the rhythm of Swedish, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you find the rhythm of English instead. That's the, the, the work of, of the translator to, to find the, the, the correct rhythm. Because so much is, is about rhythm when it comes to writing and, and reading, I think. What was the question again?
0: I think I think that pretty much
2: answers. Oh yeah. It. Go for the next well, one. Continue with,
0: with another question that, that I'm uh, wondering about because that was the crime fiction part. But let's also talk a bit about the, the Nordic part, even though your stories do not take place in a recognizably Nordic mm. country. They mm. are written in Swedish. And I was wondering if if you think that there is a specific tradition of storytelling, it doesn't necessarily have to be crime novels, but is there a tradition of storytelling that you think is particular to um, to the Nordic region? Where you uh, did you grow up with violent crime novels vi- read to you uh, at bedtime?
2: Yes, but not Swedish ones. I mean, um, but I, th- I think that the uh, I'm not responsible for for the writings of my, my my fellow countrymen in Sweden. I'm not responsible for Henning Mank. I'm not responsible for Stieg Larsson. I would like to be responsible for Karin's books, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, when you get questions from from journalists in the UK or US, you get. Out of ten questions, five questions are about Stieg Larsson and three questions about uh, uh, Mankel and Mr. Brenner, and then they realize, oh, we're talking to Håkan Nesser, so you get two questions about yourself, <laughs> which is a bit weird because yeah. it's... Uh, uh, I write my stories. I would, I'm not particularly Swedish, I think, and the only thing that sort of gets us together as Nordic or Swedish crime writers is the fact that we, we write in Swedish. If you compare Karin, myself, Stieg Larsson... Henning we're all so different. I think the only thing that connects us is the language. That's what I always say from the writer's point of view. But then there is another point of view from from the reader, and uh, that might be that you have your cliches or your opinions or your stereotypes about what Sweden is like, this exotic, strange country. Is that my phone? How much do you pay if your phone goes on while you're talking? (laughs) I'll try to turn... It's a new one. I'm not used to... I'm, I'm not a technical person. I'm sorry about this. I can help you. <laughs> it says turn off. I do that. Sorry. I think uh, this is what you, in a previous talk, are called stigmatisation. It that, is. is that sti- the sti- sti- yes. <laughs> stigmatised. I'm stigmatised. Yeah. Because somebody asked me about Stig Larsson. Uh, are you, aren't you stigged out? Yes, I'm stigmatised. Uh, and the problem with Stig Larsson is that he's dead. And uh, so every other Swedish writer has to be a part of him. Uh, sort of, and you get questions about the, his inheritance and the, the legacy after him, et etc. et cetera. But, but uh, of course, uh, Sellwise, he's number one. I think he sold 60 million copies. Those are good books, but it's not typically Swedish. He's writing international thrillers rather than Swedish crime stories. But also in, I'll talk for a while, like, could I do that? Let's Just talk. Because the cliches about Sweden is di- different to different countries. I noticed that in, for instance, in the, in the USA, They know that Sweden is, some of the Americans know that Sweden and Switzerland is not the same thing. And when they realize it's not the chocolate and watch country, oh, it's the Ingmar Bergman country. And uh, we are supposed to be like the characters from an Ingmar Bergman film. We shouldn't speak much, we should be depressed, suicidal, uh, and that's the Swedish type. And we should take our shoes off when we enter a room, because that's what we do in Sweden. The picture of Sweden in Germany is different, because in in Germany, every German kid, they they read Astrid Lindgren, which is a relative of Karin's, And they have this picture of Sweden with the red houses, with white corners. So on every German book from a Swedish writer, there is a house on the front cover of, of the book. Red house, perhaps a flag, a little lake, and the white corners. In England, in the UK, I think that Sweden used to be a sort of a model society to, to, to the UK in the 60s and 70s. We had well working welfare systems, etc. so we were kind of a, a country that you looked up to. And what you're watching now is Sweden's fall from grace. Uh, something, is, something has gone wrong, something is rotten in the state of Sweden. And you like to watch somebody else's fall from grace very much. <laughs> and... This is also what Henning Mankel says, he's not a, I'm not a crime writer, I write about, uh, I write social criticism about Sweden, and Sweden is going down. And it doesn't help what you, because I don't believe this, and we have the same kind of problems in Sweden that we have in the rest of Europe, so I don't buy this explanation either. So I think if you try to look for an answer why Swedish crime fiction is so good, uh, in my most optimistic moments I agree we write so damn well, but uh, on the other hand it could just be like shit happens and it will pass in a few years from now. <laughs> thank you. That's a thank you.
0: I sort of expected that, yeah, thank, uh-huh. you <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much Håkan. Well um, I'll take the same question though most of us have forgotten what the question is now to, to Kain and it, it's already been mentioned that Kain is Probably what would be any Scandinavian child's dream to have Astrid Lindgren in your, in your family. So I was wondering, these are not stories with a lot of murders, not, not no. described in great detail, but they are to some extent horrifying psychological mm-hmm. thrillers to kids, aren't they? Have they, have they influenced your storytelling tradition
1: yeah, I I I would hope they have, but I'm not sure about it. But since I grew up in this family house with Astrid Lindgren and my my grandfather, they were siblings, my grandfather and Astrid, and they were four siblings and all were writers. And uh, so being an author was nothing's not that special for me, uh, but they were. So I guess you could have a you could work as an author, but I didn't dream of it, and it was nothing special with it, mm. but, um, so, but I, I, she was, Astrid Lindgren, for me, was an extraordinary person. She was, as a human being, a r- true role model, as uh, she was trying to help everyone she could, and she was, of course, a great author, but also, she did so much for the Swedish society, like, uh, uh Without her, I guess the child abuse, born misunder, mm. mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been forbidden so early if it haven't, hasn't been for her. That is, it's you've, it's forbidden to actually hit, uh, abuse your children, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Uh, but when I wrote Shadow, it's about a Nobel Prize, Lether mm. Le, what is it? um I had Astrid in mind, because she is the most adored and loved author and, or person in Sweden, mm, actually. She's dead since she died 2002. And uh, I imagined that having this uh, adored person in your family, and then she dies, and uh, I imagined that she had something that we had to keep secret, uh, in the family, and of course, there wasn't. But I, I mixed, I, I made the total opposite of uh, Astrid when I, I made this Axel Rangnerfeld in, in Shadow. So I used a lot of my childhood with uh, growing up with authors and how they. And I, uh, oh, yeah, I used what I learned as a child when I wrote it, but I tried to do the opposite of it. Yeah.
0: So Axel Rangnerfeld is not Astrid Lindgren. No, no. 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 <laughs> no, no. She also did not opposite. receive the Nobel Prize as no. she should have. No, yes. no unfortunately. Um, this takes me, I'm going to jump over some of the questions that Håkan uh, Nessa already answered for me, so we are advancing things and we will get to your questions sooner, so thank you very much. <laughs> uh, we'll go into uh, um, still more uh, difficult questions now, uh, I will warn you. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of these books and we're going to um, take some exam. This is Håkan's, your latest book translated into English, I assume there will be one out in in the autumn of the Finland series. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: Is that the unlucky
2: lottery? Yeah, like I'm not sure about the title. They, oh. they always change the titles. I'm not sure what's going to. It's called "Munsters Munsters Fall" in the Swedish. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the title. Okay. And shadow, is that the latest translation
0: of yours?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, we have mentioned, uh, and Håkan has mentioned the sort of bit for. Scandinavian crime writers to always be critical of society, and that, uh, that's a long tradition for that, obviously, and something that some crime writers are really into. But of course, fiction can never escape being about something. And, <coughs> and Scandinavian fiction, uh, however hard we try, cannot uh, help being about um, something difficult. Uh, that comes out of the past. These are the reading scars that uh, have been mentioned in the title here. And I think uh, Hocan Nesse and Kainal Tegen's uh, novels are very much about scars. They're also about genders. And it seems um, strange to some because Scandinavian countries are the most considered very egalitarian societies, especially when it comes to to gender. But I'm sure you've also experienced that A lot of the novels that we read today coming out of Scandinavia, they have gender and inequalities uh, as prime. um, um.
2: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or
0: sleepnumber.com. Themes. One common theme in these crime novels, notably in Stieg Larsson's, of course, original Swedish title uh, translated into English, Men Who Hate Women. And we find also this theme of the abuse uh, of women by men in Kainal Tegen's uh, Missing, uh, this one, and in, in Shadow, indeed. And also uh, in, in yours, Horka Nesser's uh, Woman With Birthmark, if you know this one, and, and also in The Inspector, and Silence here. The abuse of women by men is granted um, real issues in Scandinavian countries as all around the world. But but how and why do they find their way into into your novels?
2: Well, you 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 need to write about something. I mean, and, and uh, you need to if you if you write about a murder, which you usually do if you're a crime writer. And some some they ask us. Does it have to be murder? And the simple question is, yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, what you—if you're a serious writer—you you, you want to try to find the motives behind this murder case because it's about a murder case. It's a—it's a story that, that usually goes back for a number of years, and it starts with a murder, usually in chapter one, and then you go sort of backwards and forwards, which creates a kind of a of a good storytelling and. But you must find the motive for the murder and there are not that many motives around for, for if you want to kill somebody, you usually kill for greed or, or, or for that you've been abused. And, and uh, I think the most interesting stories is when you, when you put the murderer in a, in a sort of a low position where, where he or she has been sort of mistreated by society or by somebody else and, and she or he sort of takes revenge for something that happened a long time ago. This kind of, it creates a good story. And then you're, you have this person that has been sort of, uh, perhaps not abused, but anyway feels towards the end of his or her life that, that something went wrong uh, years ago and I want to take some kind of a revenge. This is a very usual motive in, in, in a book or a way of telling a story. Then you end up with, with the, the sex thing or, or, or the, the greed thing, the money thing, or... or whatever, and there are not that many good motives around, <laughs> thank God, because then we would end up like the Icelandics in the, in, the, uh, in the Viking ages, I think.
0: It's not only women who are abused in, in a few of your novels, it's also the uh, main investigator himself, and Vitren, often abused by himself, and mm. he's also a, a deeply scarred uh, individual, and I think that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, these novels, particular, found so many readers because he's just a really interesting character who is uh, deeply challenged by his own thoughts about himself. Um, there's a there's a passage in the Inspector and in Silence that I'd like to. I don't think I give anything away by reading this short passage. It says he made a mental note to consider and assess the logic of it all when the time came, when the time came to write his memoirs. He was finding it more and more difficult not to keep thinking about them. And later he's thinking it's time to get out. Okay, so here's a, an inspector who is uh, deeply troubled by what he sees and um, what he has made of his own life. And he is thinking about writing his memoirs. And towards the end, it gets even worse. And this probably one of the most depressing cases so far that he's been involved in. And he says, and all this evil, all this accursed, uncontrollable murkiness that has flooded the stage in which he'd been performing for the last 35 years now. It does seem to be <clears throat> about the time that uh, this detective quits and does something else. Mm. What, what's what's in it for Van Vieteren?
2: Well, this is book number five. There are ten books about Van <coughs> and uh, this is book number five. And it's also the book where he quits the, the police force, and he's... Uh, he he realizes at the age of he's almost uh, an old age pensioner, but he realizes that he he prefers to be in a bookstore. Uh, so he buys and sort of into an antiquariat, and he's uh, for the last five books he's uh, he spends his time among books instead instead of among dead bodies, which he likes far better. With a glass of red wine, usually he locks he locks the door and he puts the sign closed because he doesn't want any customers going in and out. But then he, uh, which also is technically he's. It, it will leave room for 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 his colleagues. So in the in the last five books, he's more like a like the retired guy who knows everything, and he's a kind of a of, of a icon that they can ask difficult questions to. So he comes in from from a different perspective into the books. But I think if you work as a as a criminal investigator for 35 years and you feel good, then something is wrong with you, because they see a lot of lot of evil. So I mean, if I had been working. I've been a teacher for, for, for 25 years and I've seen, a, no, not a lot of evil, but I mean, in, in, in Sweden they, they tend to think it's quite normal, a normal development, that if you start out, if you want to be a crime writer, you should start with, with working as a teacher for 20, 25 years and then you have the stories that you want to tell. But this is not true. I mean, the situation is not that depressing, the Swedish schools. But anyway... To, he feels bad after 35 years working with this and then he wants to to spend the last 10 or 15 years doing something different it's as easy as that yeah
0: is it only his uh, his work that has uh, scarred him so deeply or is there something else in this detective
2: well he's uh, yeah he's not uh, he's still a mystery to me he's uh, i mean he's ten years older than I am and i i don 't quite understand him i sort of, i'm writing from a very from a very sort of low perspective writing about van Bieteren, which is quite common in I mean everybody knows that Dorothy says she fell in love early with, with Lord Peter Wimsy, and she could almost didn't dare to write about him anymore and I think it's the same with with uh, with Peter James actually about Adam dalkin he appears later and later in every book because he's he's and I have not I'm not in love with Van Bieteren, of course but I mean still it's uh, I don't understand this guy really he's a he's a dark and he's a mysterious figure to me and uh, and uh, Babarotti, the new one, he's like a little brother to me, and I'm in control of him. <laughs> uh, if you can be in control of a little brother, which I'm not sure about, <laughs> but it's different. So, oh, yeah.
0: thank you very much. Talking about the deeply troubled characters, um, one of the most horrifying encounters um, that I have had reading crime stories with deeply scarred characters is uh, Sibylla Fossenström in, in Your uh, Missing, <clears throat> this novel here. When we meet her, she has been living 15 years without any real identity in a heavily, heavily regulated people's home, the Swedish welfare state. That seems quite a feat uh, <clears throat> and quite an accomplishment. And chapter by chapter, um, her horrific past is unraveled. And in Shadow, one of the central characters, Helena, is a Holocaust survivor who's past holds, I guess, one could say a key to the psychological intrigue of the novel. So I imagine that it must be quite unpleasant to, uh, to write about these characters uh, and probe so deeply into those wounds of the past. Could you give us a sense of how you go about dissecting the uh, psychology of these deeply scarred uh, characters?
1: Uh, the idea for Sibylla Forsenström, um, I got one morning, I was on my way to my job at, uh, and was in a subway station and I saw this woman at m- in my age, I guess I must have been about 35 then and she was begging for money and she had no shoes and it was quite cold, it was October and she did this with such dignity. Just trying to survive the day. And, and everyone you know, was like, I don't see you. I mean, today we see all this kind of beggars, do you say? Mm. All the time. But in 10 years ago in Sweden, that was not that usual as it is today, unfortunately. And I was, this woman, she, I couldn't stop thinking of her. And uh, that was, uh, that morning Sibylla was born as an idea in my in my head. And I somehow I wanted to help this woman by um, writing this book and give her back her dignity, her true dignity. So so that's always the way it starts for me with the idea that I get, get an idea and then I want to understand what had happened to this woman, of course in my own imagination because I don't know anything about this woman. I don't know what happened after this. Perhaps she's not alive today. But... Um, that is the starting point for me when I write a book, and I have to be truly interested because I think it's so hard writing a whole book. I mean, for me, it's such a hard work, and it's not like Håkan, who his text, text, sent me text <laughs> SMS, text message. Yeah, yeah. We had different flights yesterday when we came here, and he was like, I'm at Paddington now, and I was late. And he said, you don't have to hurry, then I can write another chapter. And it's like, for me, it's like, for me, it's like, it had to be silent. It had to be, and it's so hard, everything. And he's more like, well, I, was, I, I, was only, I wasn't
2: writing it. I was just checking it, just, just to sort of not really writing it. But, but I know the important thing with, with, with Karin's books, and hopefully with mine as well, is that you, you need to get into the psychology of, of the characters, because it's if you're not psych- psychologically truthworthy, then you lose everything. Mm-hmm. And this goes for the, the police officers if you use them, or, or, or for, for, for the victims and for even the, 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 the murderers. You, you need, to find, you need to, to, to find the psychology. And you need to believe that these people are real in, in a way, they are flesh and blood. And if you don't have that sense as a writer, how could you have it, that sense as a reader? So, I mean, to me, reading and writing is, is the same thing, really, because w- what you're doing when, when, you're, when you're writing is that you're reading your own text, mm-hmm. only that you have to write it before so you can read it. It's, uh,
1: I don't know if it's the same for you still, because I know 10 years ago you told me, told me that you don't see your characters, You see them. You stand behind them. Yeah, not the not their faces, no. 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 And it's the same for me. I don't know what they look like. And then I, I first, I felt I must be the worst author in the world who don't know how my characters. But we're not
2: painters, you know.
1: No, but I see them from the inside. I'm inside them and looking with their eyes, and that's why I don't Mm. know their faces. Uh, My last book, uh, that's not. uh, But don't uh, they have
2: mirrors at home? No, don't. (laughs) I, I know you
1: should ask me that. But uh, I, ha- I, I try to describe a mental breakdown when someone who is... A woman who is really... She's been trying so hard to, to keep everything away from her and then she gets this final when she actually falls apart. And I, for two weeks I was sitting trying to remember how I felt 96 when I had my breakdown with my heart pounding and uh, how, how it felt in the body. And after three days I actually had these aches myself... In my whole body, it was like, but I'm not feeling bad, and I, my my body couldn't understand if this was me or just my thinking. And actually, I, it took me two weeks to get rid of this uh, mm-hmm. physical uh, emotions yeah. uh, with this uh, heart pounding and it worked near arm ache in my arm. And uh, yeah, so of course I get really, really <laughs> my characters sometimes take over my my whole mm. day, yeah.
2: It's a drug. <clears throat>
1: yeah. <laughs> mm.
0: Thank you so very much. That's, that's where I had hoped we would end up. One of the reasons why I especially appreciate these two excellent writers is that uh, they do write in crime fiction most of the time. Uh, Karin might have given up on crime. Uh, <clears throat> and though crime always pays, uh, these crime novels are about characters, they're character-driven, they are, as Gil Brandes said, they have the human aspect that I uh, think travels so well. They are about humans and very real human feelings and emotions, about the scars that uh, we can imagine um, in people that we meet on the street everywhere
1: around the world. Um, Can I just say why I I decided not to write another thriller? It was because I was sitting in front of the TV a Friday evening and there was so much violence and murders and blood on the TV and I just felt how much entertainment from violence do we need in our society and I just felt if i ever going to write something again I have to do it without any violence at all and try to put the suspense in the relations and between the characters and in the characters inner life instead so I really try to challenge myself to write a, a suspenseful book but without the violence so that's that's why I choose to do <coughs> Yeah, like I think
2: we're, we're both of us getting out of yeah. crime fiction actually because it's mm-hmm. been the this started out as a as a wave turned into a tsunami this this nordic crime thing it's being a bit uh, embarrassing really because it's uh, and as you said in the beginning it's best mm-hmm. sometimes at at its worst because it's it's not mm. I, I met my french publisher last year and, and she said well i had a colleague she bought seven seven new sensational swedish crime stories well What's the writer's name? I said, and, and she said she mentioned a name I never heard of, and one book was written, and the other ones were not written yet, and they paid tons and tons of money for these sensational series, and uh, my publisher said that, well, the uh, this agent, these agents, they are gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we are. I think from five five years from now we will. We will think of of this crime, Nordic crime boom as something very strange that happened a few years ago and now Sweden are back to tennis players and and music again. And
1: when I, uh, my first book, 98, it was published 98, they had this prize in in Sweden, the Polony Prize, to have more um, women writing Mm. crime novels because there were were none, Mm. so... And now it's—I don't even know the names anymore. They are—we are—it's ah, yep. 50 persons writing, 100 people writing crime novels in Sweden. It's. Hmm.
0: Uh, I think I talk from all of us when I say that I hope Karin will continue to write suspenseful psychological dramas for us. And uh, Håkan cannot take back all the novels that you have written that are still to be translated into English. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, there. There is still something out there before.
2: Uh, we have to uh, deal with a mm.
0: non-crime psychological. Yeah, crimes, it's a,
2: because they goes. do it. I mean, it's a yeah. bit sad because the, my, my book that is out in August in Sweden mm-hmm. is about London, since I live here, since, uh, and, and it's called Skies Over London or, or Heaven Over London. I'm not sure the, the title is good in Swedish. It's a bit tricky in English, but but it's about London when I came here in the '60s, and and it's about London now. And it's a it's a definitely not a crime story, but it's a, it's I think it's. A, It's a good story, and you will not be able to read it until 20 years from now, when I'm dead and gone, but still. Okay. Thank
0: you very much um, for playing along. And um, I will now open the floor to the audience, please. Do we have a microphone being circulated? There's one there and one there. So please wait for the microphone and make some space and circulate microphones. Thank you.
1: I didn't realize it was coming to me. I'm, I'm interested in your experience of sitting down and writing without intent. What about the, sh- the form, the shaping of the narrative? Did it come spontaneously or did you have to have an editor? Are you asking me now? Yeah. Good. I, yeah, <laughs> this, yeah because I don't write a word before I had almost the whole story in my head. And I don't talk to anyone about my ideas. And my publisher are not allowed to read a single word before I wrote the whole book. And then I have an editor and we check the language, of course, and the grammar and everything. But I'm very, very private when I write. I almost not meet my friends. I have my family, but I, um, I'm very isolated during the writing periods for, you know, that's about a year. <laughs> And the, before it, it took, take me two or three years to write a book because first I make everything up and then I start to write and I have no notes and I have no synopsis and I I just write from the first page to the to the last page, and of course many things happen along the way and characters that I didn't think was that important suddenly start to grow and I don't understand why I need them, and in the end I. I understand that without them, this, I couldn't have made the story up. They were so important. So I guess my subconscious somehow now can see how important they are. So uh, yeah, for me it's uh, like a c- magic room to be I- inside by myself and not letting anyone in before I'm done, and then I can take uh, help from uh, my mm-hmm. editor. Editor, yeah uh but, but al- also the stories that uh, we, it's very very unusual that we change anything in the story because uh, though i made it I, I built it so it's impossible to take anything away because then it falls down like a court house card house do you say that in english house of cards house of cards yeah so yeah and it's, <coughs> it's so fun when you're in, in the middle of the writing process and you can see it grow and uh, 30 days of 31, it's so hard job, but that 31st day when you actually have are inspired and you just feel like this is the best you ever written, that's fantastic. And then for 30 days it's like, this is the worst thing you ever written and you're ready to throw it away and then comes this day when it's, I'm great. No, but, <laughs> but the, also the, the book know, is
2: important, the readers are important, I mean, the... the, the I mean, the shape you're in is not that important. I mean, you you, you can feel rotten the whole time as long as the books are good. uh, We're different in one sense, and I talk to my dog during the the process. But the readers
1: are not important while you're writing it?
2: No, but you are the reader. I mean, you're you're reading your own book, so it's... Mm. But you need to be very... I mean, basically, it's so simple because, I mean, what you need to tell a story, you need a story worth telling, and you need a way to tell it. Mm. And when you think you have that, you can start writing. I mean, but... Also, I don't take a lot of notes, because if the writer cannot have it inside his or her head while he or she is writing it, how should the reader be able to keep the story in her or his head when when he or she is reading it? I think it's a kind of a a democracy process there, that you should be able to keep everything in your head, which is getting worse and worse over the years, I think.
0: You have a question down here?
2: This is actually a question for Håkon, and then a question for both of you. Why do you not set your novels in a real place, a town, I don't know, Stockholm or wherever, Istad? Why do you choose to do that? And secondly, do either of you draw inspiration from real life events, real crimes? Do you do any sort of research? Mm Well, or has it all come out of your, your head? Is it all in your well, fictional imagination? Well, I've written ten, 10 books about Van Vieteren. It's in a fictitious country, I know that. And when I had written the first one, I couldn't change it. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the other books are set in Sweden, or some of them are in a sort of sort of a blurry Europe. But uh, in some... It's very important, the geography. Uh, some books are... I mean, I couldn't have put Van Vieteren in a small city or town in, in, in Sweden. It wouldn't have worked. I know that for some reason. So it's... Uh, and, uh, but these are things that you sort of... You, um, you solve them intuitively. There are so many things when, while you're writing that you do by, by gut feeling. Is this good? Okay, then you write it. It's bad, you skip it. But you don't have to, to time to, to figure out why, why would I need this word instead of that word. You, you need to, to just to dance along with the process, I think. Writing is complicated. Analyzing the process of writing is even more complicated. And the inspiration comes from, in my case, more from other books than from reality, actually, I think. When you, write, when you read other writers, this is a so nice way of telling a story. This is a so nice way of putting it. So reading is, to me, it's very, very important to read other authors. But, I mean, I'm glad that reality is still out there, in case you need it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, not life crimes, and do not get the inspiration because the crime for me, I never that never been the important things in my book. Uh, it's in my books. It's uh, it's always the characters' inner lives, and I use the crime if I have one, all just like a consequence of something else. I think all my books is more about. I actually quite recent, uh, understood that all my books is about a vulnerable and uh, a a child, but we meet this child when it has grown up and become an adult who is expected to handle life and relation without any help from... uh, and, And I need to understand why people are like they are and what happened to them to make them become the people that they are and and to make the choices they are doing and and everything. So it's uh, the uh, surroundings or where they are, it's not important for me. It's it's always about their inner lives. But I see the surroundings very well because I'm I'm inside them and looking around me, but I don't describe that much what they see. But I know it perfectly. And and, I mean, if I see one of my books, I know exactly where, where they are. But even though I didn't write it down, can I? I can see where they live. I can see the, their apartments. I can see where where they work and I, everything. But I don't describe it that much. Thank you. Any other questions?
0: Don't be shy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Please, please wait for the microphone so we can be sure that we get all of it. Thank you.
1: Uh, this is a very silly question for Håkan. Why does van Wieteren, what is it with him and the toothpicks?
2: The toothpicks? He's always
1: got a toothpick, hasn't
2: he? <coughs> yeah, he, yeah. Has a, he has a hang up on toothpicks. <laughs> uh, that's a difficult question. I got an even more difficult question. The only question I never tried to answer was from a German lady in an audience some years ago in, a, I don't know, Berlin or whatever, and she said, why does Van Weteren never drink milk? <laughs> <laughs> it never entered his head to drink milk. But uh, <laughs> toothpicks is, of course, it's uh, it's a way to get rid of smoking, really, because he was he's he's one of those he drops in and out of smoking, and when he's not smoking, he's eating, yeah, eating toothpicks instead. So I think <laughs> it's as easy as that.
0: I thought that was a really good question. Any other good questions from the audience? We have one down here.
1: I was just wondering if you ever feel very shocked by your ability to get into really, really nasty stuff.
2: (laughs) Karin should be, but. um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure she is.
1: (laughs) Sometimes. When I read my books a couple of years after I wrote them, I get, uh, sometimes I get surprised where I got it from and who wrote this and and, and so on. Because some of them are quite dark. I know Håkan thinks they're very dark. Yeah,
2: sure.
1: (laughs) Uh, And I'm not that dark person myself, but I guess I have some some place inside me have this darkness in it. But... um, i never I, I, I can describe this dark uh, psychological feelings uh, if you say that but i, I never describe uh, violence i don't I'm not interested in physic violence mm. uh, I think it's quite disgusting actually so oh, sorry I, I only use if if there's in the book it's only a why and not a how. I don't have any details about it, and um, because I'm not interested in reading it either, and ex- especially not writing it. But um, describing when it hurts in your soul, ins- instead—that's uh, that interests me, because the brain, the human brain, and our behavior and our. Um, t- psychology. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's a true interest for me to understand why we are as we are human beings. So, no, I, th- I'm not shocked over that, but... I've, I've often heard that um, a successful writer surprises themselves yeah. by what they write. Yeah, and uh, it's like, as I said, when I read my books, I, if I do that after a couple of years, it's like, where did I get this from, and how did I put mm. put it together, and... And shadow is for me. I, I don't understand how I could could write that book without have any notes before, because it's in many levels in time, in time and many characters and in different times, and I. I think I have help somewhere from perhaps Astrid is sitting somewhere helping me to put the right it, put it on the right place in the book too because everything would fall apart mm-hmm. if I tell something the, too the, early. The, it's, the,
2: the, the, there is a logic to to every good story has its own logic and yeah. and you you have to dance along and listen listen for this kind of logic and you it's not that complicated really because it's. And sometimes you, you, you realize that you're throwing like, like eight balls up and how should I be mm. able to catch them? But they come down. If it's a good story, it, you, you shouldn't worry about it. You can and you just have to
1: take one chapter at a yeah. time, not thinking how will I solve this. No. It, it, will, some, it falls to play in places somehow. It's Surprise, really yes, but shock, no, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. We have time
1: for more questions, if you,
0: if you wish, though we are over time. Just hang on a second.
1: Yes, I just wondered how much is going on in the opposite direction, you know, translation of our crime writers who do seem a bit tame sometimes or cosy, comfortable. You know, how much of a readership do you think there is in Sweden and other Nordic countries of some of our writers, crime writers?
2: Sorry, I didn't get that really. No, not. Mm. Oh,
1: sorry, are, are crime writers here, you know, P.D. James or Ruth Rendell and so on, how much are they being translated into Swedish mm-hmm. and other Nordic languages? Um, are they influential? How are they regarded? They are very well known oh, in yes. Sweden. P.D. P. James and Elizabeth George and uh, Minette uh, Walters. Walters, mm. yeah, and... Uh, very so, highly regarded, yeah. oh yes. So, English, English uh, crime writers are very well known and read in Sweden.
2: The strange thing is that, I mean, many Swedes can, can, can read English, but I mean, the, out of the translations into Swedish, I think 80 85% are from English. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world is, or the rest of the, the languages in the world are like, I would guess 15 20%, which is weird because most people, not most people, but many people could read English without translation. But I think it's, we have, the blame should not be put on the UK, but the US rather, as you realize, cultural imperialism, sort of. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.